Welcome back to the Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. Psyched you guys are here. Special thanks for sponsoring this episode of the podcast, Precision Aviation Group. Their precision is key to your performance. Check them out today at precisionaviationgroup.com. Now, coming up next in this episode of The Real Rescue, we are joined by two generational firefighters out of Essex County in the UK. They bring some amazing stories of the rescue that they've done in the local area, as well as international. Awesome. So please welcome our next guest, Mr. Tom Jewell and Rob Winger. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Oh, I'm psyched about this because we've got not just one, but two. Two guys coming to us from uh, Essex in the UK, England area, right? That's yeah, line. that's correct. Yep. Okay, good. We got Tom Jewell and we got Rob Winger. Winger. I'm going to say Winger because that's kind of how you said it. And But proper pronunciation, I guess, for me would be yeah. Winger. Except winger. for me, yeah, it, so yeah. Winger. Yeah, that passed from English accent. Yeah. <laughs> that's the New England. New England. Yeah, that's it. Winger. <laughs> Dude, gentlemen, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to the show. I appreciate it. This is going to be awesome. So, little background about you guys is you guys are both firefighters uh, for the Essex County. You guys have been doing it for quite a while. I mean, let me just bring up a couple of notes for for it. Like, Rob, you've been a firefighter for like thirteen years. That's awesome. Your great grandfather was a firefighter. Your dad was a firefighter. Now you're a firefighter. You served up in Scotland with the fire service. Oh my gosh, you, you've done a ton. I saw since 2018. You saw, oh, this is great. And then Tom, your dad was a firefighter. Now you're a firefighter. And then you've done, you saw, you've deployed overseas. You've done a whole bunch of stuff. So we're going to get into all of this and everything that you guys do. And, and to top it all off, you started your own company. Um, Heck yeah, dude, that's awesome. So I'll tell you what, you know what? Because I don't want to take too much of it. Let's, Rob, if you don't mind, bring us up give us a little background about you and the whole firefighter thing man this is great yeah um cool yeah so like, uh, like you said just to fill in the blanks i suppose um so my great granddad was a firefighter here in essex um obviously many moons ago um just after the second world war uh served over Onga. um that kind of inspired my dad skipped a generation in between and my dad sort of joined the essex fire service back in the 70s um probably in the sort of proper old days um when the job was uh, a little bit different than it is now um and then again he done his 30 years and that that sort of inspired me so i left school was fairly confident i wanted to do it um i started uh i picked up a little job uh as an op- working in operations at northfield airfield um and they had a small fire crew there so that's sort of where i initially cut my sort of uh sort of firefighting teeth a little bit and got the taste for it i've done that for two years um and i was really lucky uh got accepted into the scottish fire service um and that's where that 13 years started so i had so i've kind of been around fire service about 15 years now um nice. but yeah that's it started up there moved packed my bags i didn't have a i was sort of Wait, you moved what? Time. i was, I was living down in essex so i packed my bags up threw everything i had in oh, the bag packed and... your bag. okay sorry 
Sorry, I, I got to make sure I get all this. American here. Remember that. American, yeah, okay? Yeah, I way too fast as well. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Well, maybe for others. I get it. I just want to make sure I heard it. Um, so, yeah, that was, bags up and that was that then. So I joined the Scottish Fire Service back in 2011. So, yeah, that was nice. Good. And now, currently, you're down back in Essex working as a firefighter. Yeah, that's there. right. Yeah, so uh, cool. took a little bit of a, a sort of a long, long journey home. Um, I transferred from uh, Scottish Fire Service uh, down to Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue Service. Uh, I served okay. at St Albans Fire Station down there with a white watch. Um, had a really good four years there. Really enjoyed it. It's a really squared away brigade, very good brigade. Um, but obviously home called. Um, and I was very fortunate in 2018 to get the get the nod and be able to transfer over into Essex. Um, oh, that's super so cool. Home, if you like. I nice. think when, when yeah. Rob says transferred, I think he means that they had enough of him in Scotland. <laughs> so they moved him down for Hertfordshire and then Hertfordshire had enough. So then he was settled in Essex and he's, he's kind of found his place. I can confirm or deny. <laughs> you know, I, I work with a Scots guy and, and I'm just saying that, yeah, I, I could see that. I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> They're not oh. countries, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> All right, Tom. So give us a little background about you. Yeah, so same same sort of backstory to Rob. So the the old man was in the job, uh, did the full thirty years. Uh, I came in quite late, to be fair. I came out of kind of college, uni, uh, decided to to be a hippie for a few years and travel the world. Uh, what started nice. as what started as a six month kind of holiday ended up being a two year uh, kind of traveling around the world and lived in New Zealand for a while. So. So we had we had some fun, and then uh, the money ran out. So we thought, oh, we better come home for a bit and and save up and go back out. And we never ended up going back out. Um, Essex had had a, a big recruitment freeze, so they hadn't recruited anyone in about twelve years. Um, and when we got home, the the advert came out that they were going to start recruiting again. So so I put my name straight in the hat. So it was the first time I'd applied. Uh, was fairly lucky, um, uh, and got through the got through the sifting process. Um, the fact that my dad was in the fire brigade may or may not have had a, a, a sway on things. <laughs> we can neither confirm nor deny that. It's not what you know. Um, that's right. That's right. Now, yeah, just out of curiosity, wait a minute. You did call him your old man. So, it, like my dad, if I call my dad my old man, he'll, he'll look at me and be like, hey, when you show up to work the next time, all black and blue, you're going to say some old man did that to you or are you going to say your dad did that to you? I'll be like, all right, I got you. <laughs> No, is that a thing? Is that is that just my dad thing? I don't know. He, he's got no authority over us. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Noted. Yeah, yeah. You know what? If no, he so helped you uh, get in, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. I was I was fairly late to the game. Joined joined quite late. Um, I did uh, three years on on kind of a, a fairly fairly big fairly busy station within Essex called Chelmsford. Uh, was really lucky to get that as my first station. Um, obviously, being being the first first recruit or probie, as you might say, in in twelve years, I certainly got my fair share of uh, fair share of challenges to start off with to to make myself part of the team. But it, it was all good fun looking back on it. Um, but yeah, had, had had some really good times at Chelmsford because Chelmsford's quite big and it's quite central within Essex. It's got a lot of uh, what we would call specialisms. So it's got okay. um, an aerial ladder platform. Kind of the big the truck with a big ladder on the back. Uh, so it's animal... drives you. You literally have to drive it on the back side of the the ladder truck. Is that... Similar, but not the same. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so they've got one of them. They've got an animal rescue unit. So kind of a specialist training to be able to go out and uh, got a big. Get the cats out of, of the tree. Pretty much. Exactly. Big, you big know, I have, 
I had to drop that for all my cop friends. I just got to throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Funnily sorry, enough, sorry. We'll, we'll come back onto that story. It'll, it'll come oh, back okay. out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, loads of specialists. They've got Swift Water Rescue there as well. So as, as cool. someone first joining the fire service, that station was a really good one to get because I got a lot of training uh, and a lot of specialist skills from the off, which I think then then fueled the ambition to join uh, what we call USAR, Urban Search and Rescue, which is a standalone station within Essex. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's full of specialisms um, and skill sets that you learn there. So that kind of fueled that transition into the, the Urban Search and Rescue environment. And that's where we are today. Dang, that's cool. Now, you guys also, we talked a little bit offline, but you guys are on a team that deploys and goes like literally overseas as well to help in search and rescue areas. And I know we're going to get into that, but what what is that specifically called? Uh, so it's ISI's the International Search and Rescue Team. Okay. So, and basically what that is, is it's a combination of all of the USAR teams around the UK all join up for the international search and rescue team. Um, and when there's a natural disaster that happens around the world, we get called upon to, to form this team and then gets deployed out to that area. So uh, the past kind of 18 months has been pretty crazy for us with deployments. Um, Morocco being being the, the latest one, Turkey before that, uh, floods in Malawi went out to that. Um, so it's been pretty crazy the past 18 months. And okay, um, just had our rehabilitation as well. So. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I'm sure we'll go back. We'll we'll come back to that later, but um, but yes, yeah, for sure, it's a really good uh, team to be a part of. Man, that's incredible! Ah, oh, the fact that you guys are are pulling together like a a big group to go help like that. That's yeah, it's pretty badass. I like that. All yeah, right, definitely. Well, Tom, it's, it's, yep. Go for it. So, all right, all right. So, Tom, because you're you you've got us going there now. What was your very first rescue? Do you remember your very first rescue on the fire truck? Like you just, you, you might be a probie. You might be that guy. And, and get, oh, actually, let me ask this before we go too far uh, on the fire trucks. I, I've never been on a fire truck. I've been around a lot of firemen, but how many guys are usually at the station at one time uh, that respond to a call? What's a normal? Set that one. Uh, yeah, um, it definitely. So it depends um, in the UK, it depends on the station. So you've got some stations that have only got one truck in it, like uh, Chelmsford. We both served at Chelmsford uh, on different different shifts, but at the same time, um, they've got two, uh, two trucks and two specialist vehicles. So it depends. The watch can – we call them watches instead of shifts, uh, the old Navy term for a watch. Um, yep. And so, yeah, 13 guys uh, down to – so there's a minimum of four on a UK fire engine. That's the minimum. Okay, cool. So four guys, minimum responding up to 13? 13, yeah. And then obviously, okay. as uh, I know in America, they call them different alarms, don't they, for different, uh, as they sort of raise the profile of that call. Um, the same thing, we would, we call it making pumps. So a pump is a fire engine. So okay. we could escalate a fire, we could escalate that response up to 10 to 15 pumps if we just needed more more people to, to sort of bring into that incident to sort of resolve it. So, yeah, and beyond. All right. Well, Tom, what's up? What's your very first basket that stands out to you? Yeah, so I've got... I've got two fairly ironic kind of rescues that, that I'll always remember. So the first one was my first ever job as, as a firefighter coming into the service. Now, when, when we do our training within Essex, we go to, we've got kind of like a, a training hub that everyone goes to. Um, and part of our live fire training, so we do two weeks of live fire. So we're actually going into buildings. They've, they've got actual burn boxes where there'll be an actual fire for you to extinguish. 
Uh, they do all of that within kind of shipping containers. Okay. And you're kind of told from the very from the very off that, you know, that this might be a little bit unrealistic because you're never going to get a fire within the shipping container. Um, so you've got that in the back of your head. And, and the first shift that I'm on duty, we get called to this construction site. And weirdly enough, it's a fire within a container. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is blowing my mind. I know exactly what to do. I'm like, all of these guys have never seen this before. And I'm, I'm this new bloke that's come in and knows exactly what to do with a fire in a container. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, it was fairly ironic. And even though it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a rescue or it's not a, it's not a particularly good job, it just sticks in my head because it's, you know, you're told throughout the whole of your training, you're never going to do this again. And it's, uh, it was my first job uh, on, on the truck. So, yeah, it's fairly ironic. And then, um, yeah, my first my first job within the kind of the urban search and rescue team. Now, there, there's a lot of anticipation coming up to kind of joining the, the search and rescue team. And there's a lot of a lot of courses, a lot of specialisms that you've got to do. Um, and you're kind of moving into this really niche kind of market that not a lot of people uh, get to do. Um, so there, there's the anticipation around that. And I remember the first shift that I've come on and I'm thinking, yeah, the first job I'm going to get is going to be this sexy rescue where you know, someone's stuck off the side of a cliff and I'm going to get to abseil down and get them. And it, and it comes through and it's a cat in a tree. And I'm thinking, what is this? What is going on? And I think surely I haven't joined this new specialist unit to, to go and save some cats. So yeah, I ended up getting there and, you know, putting my harness on and starting to climb up this tree. And the, the, the cat was literally right at the top. And uh, we didn't have anything to put the cat in. So I'm thinking... I'm going to try and grab it, but I don't want this to jump. And you've got the whole family at the bottom kind of nervous watching this cat, seeing what it's going to do. Um, and I ended up reaching for it, and the cat looked like it was going to jump. And I was like, oh, I'm going to ruin some little three-year-old's day because this cat's going to jump out of the tree and die. Um, and, and, and luckily, I managed to grab it and put it inside my jacket. So I've got this cat inside my jacket scratching at me and trying to get out. And I'm now trying to climb down this tree, and it's an absolute nightmare. But, yeah, again, two very ironic first kind of responses within the units that I've been in. So... Dude, that's awesome. Oh, Luck, luckily, I've started low, and it's and, and it's gone up since there. So. <laughs> oh yeah, all right, all right. We'll come back to you. All right, Rob, hit me. Your very first rescue after you got qualified. Yeah, so um, kind of similar to Tom in a way. I've probably got like a two part kind of yeah. story to this, only because I think there's kind of something that's going to link right to the end when we talk about sort of advice things like that. Maybe um, that I'll probably bring back up. But um, so my first proper call to a rescue um i joined i went on station in like the november time so i joined in may um you go through i think it was 18 weeks all in um of training and then you were out on station and i'm sure it was november uh, 2011 got to boxing we had a few different calls couple of fires um small fires and then we got to boxing day night i was on a so boxing day day after christmas boxing day night uh i was on night shifts and we picked up a, a flat fire in a high-rise building which was in the, in the in the UK, we call it persons reported. So that's where someone is missing. Someone's confirmed, like a victim is confirmed in the building. Um, and uh, quite obviously, as a 21-year-old, um, about to get tested for real, so you think, um, pulled up outside. Um, won't go into details too, like as in too much. Don't want to sort of reveal anybody. It's obviously a personal story for somebody. Um, but uh, it was, it was a, a woman there reporting her baby was inside and she was in quite a distressed state, as you'd imagine. Yeah. Went in there and searched for that baby. Um, and again, like Tom says, you do everything in training school, you learn how to do everything really prescriptively. And it's very careful that you, that all doesn't go out the window when you go in the job because it's very different. Okay. What you're, what you're faced with when you're smoking darkness for real, you're, you're definitely on the clock um, in terms of your time frame. 
it's just different and the guys around you are much more experienced they behave differently to when you're two you know probies going around the going around nice and carefully around your your training environment um so got in there smashed out the search um we just didn't search uh a cupboard on the left hand side like an electrical cupboard um there's so the way the way you do it in the uk you'd split a team left and right so one team shoots up a right hand wall one team shoots up the left hand wall and you cover everything on your side sometimes works a little bit differently in the real world uh, but i'm brand new so i'm like we've gone in we've been ordered in on the right hand side done everything on the right message come over the radio is it clear i'll click straight in my comm set and gone everything on my search is clear or it's clear on my side however in the real world it's only a flat my my boss downstairs is expecting me to have smashed out everything because there's a baby missing come out the job um and my boss comes storming up to me and grabbed hold of me and said, is everything clear? I'm about to commit someone else. And I said, yeah, 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 that's it. He said, everything. I said, well, yeah, except there was a cupboard on the left, I noticed as I went out. I didn't check it. And he lost it. Absolutely lost it with me. Brand new, balling at me. You know, what do you mean? It's, it's not clear, it's not clear, it's not clear. Um, so kind of long story short of that is uh, no, as it no, trans... No, 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 don't do that to me. Don't, I, like, I like a long right. story long. Like, right, let's keep, go. Keep, yeah, I was coming. Um, yeah, yeah. So we've headed back down to the bridgehead, which is where we've staged out of. So we, we pulled up, we've, we've kind of built, we built a bridgehead a couple of floors below the fire. That's where we, we get in, uh, get our masks on and get ready to go underwear. So we've got back down the bridgehead. They've briefed another crew up and sent another crew in. Um, as I'm getting my gear off, I'm now completely deflated. One, we've not found a baby that's, that's missing at this point, and we know the clock's been ticking. And two, I've I've made a faux pas. I've, I've, I've I fucked up, but yeah, for want of a better word. So obviously, as a as a brand new guy, brand new to the job, sold the dream that you're going to save lives, living up to this big expectation. That's kind of a bit of a blow for me. Um, and then, luckily, thankfully, the, the the somewhere along in that in those moments, the police have then confirmed that the actual baby had been removed due, uh, by social services before, and there was drugs involved and things like that. And the girl, the girl that had initially told us the information was under the influence at the time. Um, uh, and maybe okay. some mental health issues and things like that. So, kind of got off the hook a little bit. Um, but it was a it was a massive lesson that I probably didn't engage until later on down the line. But in, in humility and owning your mistakes. Um, but I have to this day the way it, it transformed the way I completed searches. I'll, I'll, you know, being thorough now is has stayed with me. You know, it just it, something. Yeah. So a really good life lesson early that had a happy ending, thankfully. And then yeah. my first rescue come on the uh, well, my first real rescue come on the twelfth of. The 11th or the 12th of January, another night shift. Uh, sadly, it was a fatality, uh, but it was another flat fire in the third floor. And uh, uh, we got up there and it was booming out the windows, but we managed to get the door down um, and recovered him um, just inside the hallway of his flat. Um, managed to get him out, managed to get the paramedics to work on him, managed to get him back a couple of times, but it wasn't to be, sadly. Um, but again, you kind of sign up thinking you're going to be a hero, you're going to save lives, and you kind of have to yeah. deal with those knocks early doors. Um, but I think it definitely, it definitely improves you going forward and, and when you learn those things so um but yeah there was plenty of excitement obviously that was it was a fairly that was a fairly hot what we'd call a hot job hot wear that was it was coming out of every window and that was that was you know that was the it certainly looked from the outside what the hollywood films make it out to look like and it was plenty hot and plenty hot and you couldn't see anything on the inside so yeah it was a a learning curve that one a good learning curve but not, obviously it was a very tragic outcome for for someone sadly yeah yeah i i, I get it i get it all yeah i get it I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the outcome, but no, no, no. it happens, doesn't it? Like, it happens. We're, we're there to try to do the best we can, and yeah. and and that's what you can hope for. And you just you go back and you debrief it and learn from it, don't you? And and, and go again for the next one. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. 
What a way to get you guys started. Holy cow. Minus the cat in the tree. But that's just stereotypical <laughs> and hilarious. It's, it's, you've got to tick all the boxes, haven't you? He's just gone with that <laughs> one. <early. laughs> container, container fire that they said they were never going to do. Cat in the tree. And then uh, searching for somebody that's not there. A little baby. Oh, ba- baby. Yeah, baby. Got to search for the baby. And then, ah, yeah. Not, not a great call, but wow. What a way to get started, guys. Holy cow. Well, I, I tell you what, I'm in, I'm in for the ride. I know you guys have, have mentioned to me that you had some larger vehicles that have rolled over. You've had to cut some people out. So, Rob, if you want to keep us going, I, I'm in, dude. Yeah. So um, you kind of you, you asked me to sort of we talked about like kind of one that stands out, and um, and we've probably all got stories now. And I kind of said it in the in the kind of pre briefing we had that you know. I certainly don't think I'm unique. You know, every firefighter up and down the, up and down the country will have their own stories, um, and this is just my little flavour on them. I certainly don't think I've done anything anyone else hasn't done. But um, well, one unique one. Before you get into that, you know what? You're right. You're totally right. And I, I don't. I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody else. I just, you know, I love these stories, and I love the fact that people are willing to share the stories because there are guys like you and and guys like me and, and guys like Tom that we we've done some stuff. Why let let's share it so somebody else can learn from it, if anything. And then those that are like those of us that are in the job still, we just we kind of like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I I did that. I was there and I, I could see it. So Yeah, awesome. I'm just all I'm doing is I'm I'm prepping this up for the beast and I'm gonna get when the lads hear about this. So uh, that's all it is. <laughs> Throw in a bit of humility just to try and save my uh, save my skin a little bit. Um Perfect. so yeah, no, like uh, yeah, a memorable another memorable rescue. So um Going back to my time in Hertfordshire, St Albans, um, like I said, so we cover a massive road network. That's that. It's a small city, kind of uh, middle uh, middle counties above London. Okay, so you have got like the it's not one of the middle counties that sits above London, and um, so we cover a massive road network. The M25. If you've heard of London and you've heard of the M25, it's like the biggest road network that runs around it. Yeah. So we had a we had a tarmac lorry, a big tipper lorry. Uh, so not a, not a truck and trailer like a rigid lorry. Uh, but full of tarmac and rolled over. It was, came off the A, uh, A12, coming a bit hot, flying by the seat of his pants a little bit. Um, didn't make the roundabout and rolled it over onto the curb. Now, this curb is a big old curbstone because it's a huge roundabout, this thing. Um, and this curbstone is where the lorry's rolled over and landed. It's, the curbstone's impacted the lorry cab at about foot height. And obviously, there's not massive crumple zones around a lorry. So on a car, you've got sort of huge areas, big engine bay and lots of crumple zones around it, whereas the lorries don't really generally have that. They've just got their weight and their size, haven't they? Um, so we've responded, and that was uh, to answer your question earlier about how many guys. So St Albans, we had 10 on duty at the time. Um, so two trucks with uh, with four guys in them and uh, our specialist rescue, our rescue support vehicle um, or rescue um, support unit, which was a specialist vehicle. Um, so that we all pulled out of the St Albans, a couple of minutes down the road and, and turned up at this job uh, fairly I want to say run of the mill, um, RTC for us, uh, road traffic collision. Um, so we just got about our work. Um, I just happened to be, because I'm a little bit of a medical nose, as is Tom. Uh, I happened to dive in there to do the casualty care because we were we were there before our ambulance. Because unlike the States, uh, we don't do our, we, the ambulance service is separate to the fire service in the UK. So we're not, we're not paramedics. Firefighters aren't paramedics, um, but we do some trauma training to sort of bridge that gap until our ambulance colleagues can get to us. So I'm in the cab dealing with that. I have one other colleague um, 
a guy called Matt in there with me, um, and we were trying to cut around. So we're, we're treating the casualty, um, getting him on O2, doing his obs. Um, there wasn't too much bleeding or anything or mess to sort out. And he's constantly talking to us. He's in a lot of pain on his left, his right leg, which is sort of stuck down. We can't see it because we're on our side. But it's stuck right down in that bottom corner, and that's become entombed around all the plastic and where the curb has pushed the cab up and encased his leg. Can't tell how badly damaged the leg is, but he's in a lot of pain and he's not, you know, he's not in a happy place. So we're we're trying to cut our way into the cab to try and get him out. Times passed. Um, one of the air ambulances landed. One of the helicopter uh, ambulances has landed. They always carry like super ninja doctors on there and and paramedics, <laughs> like Hems guys. There, they are like top stuff, top absolutely top draw uh, medical guys. Um, so they've they've got there, and, and we're all, there's a lot of talk going on about this guy being quite unwell and haven't been there a long time. We can't get him out. Um, and they're going to have to, they're potentially now talking about amputating his leg. Sort of like camp, because we tried everything. We tried, yeah, we're trying all sorts. We've got airbags in there to try and push the plastic and the and the metal apart. We're trying to cut bits away. And in the middle of this, when me and Matt are in there doing what we're doing, and we're saying, no, no, we can get him out, we can get him out, we can get him out. Well, all of a sudden, the lorry cab catches fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Swear, swear, swear as... Yeah, I swear, I swear on my life, I swear on my son's life. It's exactly how it played out. It just smoke just started pouring up through the air conditioning vents. Um, whether we'd snagged something, I don't know. The guys were obviously, we had the rest of our guys working on the outside of the vehicle. Whether it was something at their end, I don't know. Um, but smoke just started pouring out of this vehicle. Um, and me and Matt had a look at each other, and it was like, what are we going to do? Are we, are we going to chop his leg off now and pull him out? Are we just going to try and pull him out? Are we going to have to pull out of this thing because we've got no breathing apparatus on? It's it's this only yeah you know, these things can go up fairly quickly, um, and you talk about sort of your crew having your back, and we're, we're quite jovial in the fire service. We we you know there's this definitely a culture in service about like I mean America's big on the brotherhood right and 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 that and all that sort of stuff. Whereas we're quite like it's the old sort of Tommy attitude of like you know oh, it's all banter and you, you don't sort of admit those sort of close knit emotions to each other like that. Um, but talk about the lads having your back. Before I could even communicate anything to Matt, we had two jets of water coming in because we always lay our hose reels out at jobs. You yeah. should always charge them. Today, today, this day, they had been charged, ready to go. Two jets of water come in and just knock that fire down, and we were able to carry on. And, and ironically, we got his despite having an argument with Hems, who are really good, by the way. I'm not knocking them, but we were adamant we were having this lad out. When we got him out, which we did, uh, his leg wasn't even broken. There was nothing. He had no injury to his, low, his leg at all. Um, and we could have lost it. If we hadn't been persistent in that instance because of our knowledge and the way we backed ourselves, you know, another time, another decision, it, it might have been the wrong one, but it, it was the right one. And like I say, we've got this, leg, this, this guy's leg free and yeah, he kept it and, and there was nothing wrong with it. You know, he was, he was bashed up from the from the rollover, but yeah, he got to, got to walk on both his legs again. So that's a pretty cool day. Uh, and and another yeah. special been alive in a lorry. So that was always a Brucey bonus as well. So, Dude. <clears throat> hey man that's awesome all right it's good to know your boys got your back that's good yeah that's it yeah exactly it was, just, it was, it was nice to kind of see it because you'd never express it to each other because through fear of uh of the roasting you get a bit <laughs> like that. you know i'm constantly scared of the roasting i get just from being on here but at this point i just don't care i'm like oh whatever <clears throat> it doesn't matter it's a fun story yeah, to tell. Yeah. dude thanks man i appreciate you sharing that that's all right tom let's go yeah, so similar similar kind of thing. So we've still got a HGV, the heavy goods vehicle. Um, and a little bit of context around what we kind of respond to and how that might be different. Um, so we call it USAR, Urban Search and Rescue, um, which kind of molds into what we call technical rescue as well. Now that looks different in different brigades around the UK and how they utilise that, that uh, kind of asset. 
Uh, so USAR is a national asset. So we, we respond nationally within the UK uh, to any kind of major incident. And as part of that, we do uh, large vehicles or lo- large transport. So we would respond to, to you know, lorries, trains, planes, any incident involving them. You, that's what USAR is kind of built for, um, as well as structural collapse and, uh, and kind of building collapse and things like that. So within Essex, we're a standalone station that only responds to specialist incidents. So our day-to-day on station, we don't respond to fire calls anymore. Um, we don't respond to your run-of-the-mill stuff that a normal fire engine would respond to. We would literally okay. only be called upon if it's if it's uh, deemed kind of specialist. So we've got rope rescue, um, we've got major transport, so we've got um, we've got lorries that are full of kind of lifting kit. So we're we're able to lift a HGV lorry. So if anyone was ever stuck underneath it, we can lift it off of them. Um, are, are you so kind of like a, it almost like a? Uh, I want to. Oh, what the heck am I thinking? Like a like a big old type of tow truck, like a tow truck, like a, with a crane that comes on and actually lifts the whole thing up. Or no, no, no. So we've got we've got five five trucks that have got. It's basically a shipping container, so it's it's okay. a lorry with a mountable shipping container on the back. Now all of them shipping containers are full of tools, okay, and they're they're designed to respond nationally to to major incidents. We we can use them within our county within Essex. So for our major transport, we call them modules. So for the major transport module, we'll have cutting equipment, we'll have airbags that are that are rated to lift um, lorries and 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 rail rail stock um, trains. Um, trains got, as well. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, we've got like lifting jacks that can go underneath a vehicle and lift it up. Uh, so it's not necessarily a crane lifting it up. It's it's all kind of from underneath lifting things off. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's cool. So, so we'll be on any, any incident that involves a lorry. We'll we'll be tipped out to it regardless of what it is we we go and support the crews that will turn up to it basically um so yeah moving on from from rob's story um this one was kind of memorable for for the kind of the the way that the incident panned out so not necessarily the outcome even though it was a good outcome so uh, again it was on a, a fairly major road going through essex um and it was a european lorry so it'd come over from uh, from europe so it was a left-hand drive. Obviously, we we drive right-hand drive. So this lorry was a left-hand drive. Um, you guys are backwards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> who, who would do it? Um, uh, I and got a story about that after this, by the way. It's just a little side note. Remind yeah. me and I'll tell you. It's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. So for, for some reason, we, we don't know why, but the, the lorry has kind of naturally just veered off the road. Uh, whether he fell asleep, whether he's under the influence, we, we, we didn't know at the time. But it, it had naturally come off the road. It hadn't been in a collision. It had just literally driven through the barrier on the left-hand side of the road, and it had come off. Now, this particular part of the motorway has got a really steep embankment on the side of it. So he hasn't just come off the road and, and gone into a nice field. He's, he's come off and rolled it down the side of the embankment. Now, the, the issue for him is his left-hand drive. So he's rolled onto the left-hand side. So he is now stuck between the lorry and, and, and the ground, basically, on a, on a really steep verge. The only thing that's holding him halfway down this verge is a couple of really little kind of trees. So there's nothing substantial whatsoever. And this is a, a big old lorry that, that is just kind of now just sitting halfway down this verge, teetering on the edge of breaking through these trees and rolling down further. So it's, it's, it's quite a, a harsh environment to be working in. Um, so we, we turn up, the crews, well, the initial crews have done a really good job. So if you can picture it now, you've got fire engines lined up kind of horizontally on the road facing the, facing the verge. 
And off the front of these fire engines, we've now got two winches off of each fire engine. And that winch is connected to the underside of the lorry. And it's basically taking all of the weight of this lorry. So it's holding it in suspension. Um, we then kind of clamber down this verge and try and get to the, the cab of the lorry. Uh, and similar to Rob's story, where, where he's come off and, and hit some trees, he's pretty entombed within within the cab. And there's, there's not really any way to get to him apart from you know, start cutting everything away. Um, we, we didn't have good access to the casualty. Uh, because of the, it was entombed within his kind of dashboard. The, the steering wheel was on his lap. His feet were were right underneath. Luckily, he was wearing his seatbelt, but but everything could kind of come onto him, so he was pretty trapped. Yeah. The fact that it was a left-hand drive made access even more difficult because we couldn't just go through his window or open up his door. So it's all kind of clambering on top of the cab and working down now to try and um, to try and get to this person. Uh, and again, it was fairly. Fairly time critical. Hems turned up on the on the helicopter again and wanted him out pretty quickly. Um, so it was working against time really to try and try and cut everything away from him to then be able to to extricate him. Um, and it and it went on for a while. And then the, the issue then became: well, as soon as we get him out of the cab, we've got to try and get him up this embankment as well, trying to keep him stable, trying to keep him in line, obviously with his C spine injuries potentially. Um, so it ended up us setting up a rope system so we'd set up a rope system off, off one of our modules attached to the stretcher so the plan was then to if we could free this casualty to get him out get him onto the stretcher and then use the rope system to then haul him up the side um and then get him in the ambulance uh and and it was again it was a similar sort of situation it was it got to the point where the hems doctors were like well if we're not going to be able to get him out we're gonna have to start thinking of you know cutting things away or potentially cutting his legs um and, and removing him in, in a safe manner, which Hems have got the got the ability to do out on the road, which is which is really impressive. Um, and again, sim similar to Rob's kind of story, it was it was persistence with the tools, um, crew rotation because everyone was just knackered, like pumping all of this kit on top of this cow with the lorry, getting down in there with him, cutting things away, trying to pull him out again. So logistically, it was an absolute nightmare. Um, but yeah, slowly we managed to pinch away at everything, managed to cut the windscreen of the lorry out, managed to pull him out, get his legs free, um, assess him kind of on the, on, the, on the embankment, get him into the stretcher, haul him up the rope system because it's pretty steep, all trying to keep him in line, trying not to to prevent any worsen of his condition, keeping his C-spine in, in line, getting him up the side of the embankment over the uh, the, the side that he's just gone through. And then, uh, and then yeah, they did another assessment, got him into the ambulance and then, and then shipped him off to hospital. Um, what, what we didn't know at the time, and we kind of, on, on reflection, looking back at the cab after he got taken away, the um, the bumpers and literally every nook and cranny of this lorry was full of like cigarettes and exported goods that he'd stuffed in. And so everything we were cutting away, we didn't notice it at the time, but we were cutting away bits of bits of cab and bits of bumper, and these like cigarettes were falling out, and uh, and he, he, he was smuggling all sorts in through through the port uh, coming over from Europe. So yeah, it was an interesting one coming out of it, and there was a big investigation into it um wow. into how it happened but but yeah i mean it was a long old rescue trying to get him out a long rescue and it's pretty touch and go at times um when you say it, long rescue how long did it take you a couple of hours I think, or... yeah i think it was a couple of hours in the end yeah wow yeah and there's uh, there's a lot of people there that are trying to you know the logistics is mad when you're trying to get a hems doctor we've got a, you've got a number of doctors in there with the casualty you're then trying to get in there with with big kind of cutting tools trying to cut things away, trying to manage the, 
manage the doctors, make sure they're safe, make sure the scene's safe. You then obviously got the the environment that you're in. You're on an embankment. You don't, you don't really know what's going to happen. You've got winch cables coming from everywhere holding this this vehicle. You're worried that you know if you cut something away, is that going to have a, a negative reaction to the winches that you've got set up? Is it going to start moving things? You've got the contents of the lorry. It was full of um, like white goods, like washing machines and things like that. They're all spilling out onto the into the field below it. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a bit of a logistical nightmare, but we, but we got it in the end with some, with some good, good systems. So yeah, it was a good, good outcome. He, wow. he survived. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a pretty mem memorable one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how high or how long was the, the rope system? Like how far did you guys have to go down? Wasn't, wasn't too far, maybe 20, 25 meters. So that's still, that's a good yeah. ways. Yeah, and it was more, you know, we, we were able to clamber up and down fairly safely without being on our own system. It was more the fact that we wanted to keep him stable within yeah. uh, within the stretcher, trying to get him up rather than us having to navigate through trees and, and you know, the potential of us slipping whilst we're carrying him. It, it was better to have that system of working to then just be able to raise him smoothly coming up on a rope system. So, Wow. When, that, when you guys were done and everything is like, you get to breathe. I, I can see it right now. Like patient, the casualty gets in the ambulance or the helicopter again. And, and then all of a sudden you, now, now you've got two trucks. They're still connected to the truck. It's not like yeah. you're done. So you, you get to take a deep breath and be like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now we got to clean up. <laughs> so what, what was that like? I mean, because you, I can't imagine you guys left the truck there. Like you got to get a wrecker in or something to pull the truck out or how, what, what do you guys got to do next? Yeah, that's it. So we'll we'll have contracts with kind of local companies of um, uh, what would you call them? Wreckers or re yeah, yeah, recovery lorries. Recovery right? lorries. Yeah, so <clears throat> that that will kind of be subcontracted out to them. But yeah, like you said, we'll we'll wait until they've got a system in place that that is safe for them to take over, and then we'll hand the incident over to them. Um, again, we we had the luxury that you know, most of it was attached by winches, so we could lower it. Um, but yeah, we we kind of. I think at that point we'd probably miss like two hours of lunch. So we, we kind of handed it over and let them deal with that and got back to our food. So. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You know, like, has there ever been the option of just, you know, cut it loose, let it roll down, blow it up and then just go down and do your firebrand yeah. thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll wait until all, all the officers are off the scene and then, yeah. Probably <laughs> just push it the rest of the way down. We'll blow it up. It'll be so much fun. Yeah, so. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But Oh man, that's cool. Um, with everything that you guys have done, one of the other things you guys mentioned to me is you have a, like a couple unusual callouts that have happened. So Tom, if you don't mind, keep us going. Like, what's an unusual call that, that you guys have had? Um, I think what's what's a common one? Common. Yeah. Okay. And one unusual one. What unusual? Oh, an unusual yeah, one. Yeah, unusual. Un yeah, unusual, unusual. Okay. Um. We're going to divert real quick to thank our sponsors. Precision Aviation Group. Mission critical operators and fleet managers rely on Precision Aviation Group as a worldwide leading rotor and fixed wing MRO provider. PAG provides tip to tail solutions in four MRO segments, avionics, components, engines, 
and manufacturing DER services. A single point of contact gives you access to over 150 million in inventory globally 24-7. Just call 800-537-2778. Precision Aviation Group. Others sell parts. We sell support. I've got one Molly thinks if it helps. Yeah, go on. Go on. So, um, so we joke in the fire service that we, we are... We are like the ultimate utility emergency service, right? So we get called to everything in a nutshell. And when you join, it's all about smoke pouring out of buildings and roaring flames and everything. Um, I think probably one of the more unusual things I've done is having to assemble a, and this is another job from Scotland. Uh, so in a premier inn, which is like a chain of hotels we've got, um, others are available. Um, and I, I've had to assemble a, you get these these assisted chairs. that. So if you're, if you've got mobility issues, um, getting in and out of the bar, for instance, is difficult. They do these assisted chairs that you can obviously sit in um, and that will drop you down to bath level, have your bath, and it'll get you back out again. Um, and I've had to disassemble, disassemble one, of the, uh, one of these chairs around an elderly gen- uh, gentleman um, and specifically his genitals, uh, where he's obviously uh, you know, older in nature and they've got this lattice, right, this lattice seat of woven, woven plastic. And obviously he's become entangled at one point during his bath we all know that hot water, everything swells up a little bit, doesn't it? So what fitted in didn't fit back out again. Um, so as a young probationary firefighter, I've kind of had a hand in disassembling, disassembling this uh, this chair around this gentleman. Um, but fair play to him, top draw, he was ex-Royal Navy, I believe, Rex Army. Um, and he just sat there giving me shit the entire time I was doing it. Uh, much, to the, much to the amusement of everyone else around me. So, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a fairly unusual job I've had. And, uh, yeah, one of the more, one of the funniest sort of, jobs that I can think of doing. I mean, there's, there's probably oh others. Yeah, that's definitely one of them. You know, I, I love it because you literally never know what you're going to get. Never. It, you never know what's going to come over the radio. You never know what you're going to show up to. And Every day is different, isn't it? Every day is different. Some than others. Definitely. What I love about what we do, you show up, I mean, really? I, you know, you're looking at that guy, you're like, really? <laughs> yeah, I'll say, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll just, uh, for starters, you don't know where to look. Um, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. yeah. And then you've just you've just got to crack on. But he, he had great humour. So yeah, he, he made that as comfortable for me as he could have done, to the, to his oh, credit. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, all right, Tom. Go ahead, man. Yeah, so I think going back to I mentioned that the first station I was on had the animal rescue unit. Um and you got some pretty interesting jobs with them. Like when you're dealing with animals, you don't really you know, you, you never know what's gonna happen. Um and there was this one where a horse had kind of got himself into a ditch. The ditch had a little bit of water in, but it, it sunken into the mud, basically. And he, he was more than happy. He was, he was stood there having a good time. He'd just been there for quite a while, and the owner was quite quite worried that he wasn't going to be able to get himself out. So we've we've turned up on the animal rescue unit. So it's a big kind of off-road tractor-looking thing with a crane on the back um, that we are trained to, to kind of pull up, get the crane off, Use a, use a load of different tools to try and get this animal out, basically. Um, and with, with the animal rescue situations, we tend to be a little bit more risk averse because, you know, we don't want to get ourselves hurt trying to rescue an animal. If it was a person, you might you might take a few more risks just to, to try and get it done. So the animal rescue jobs tend to take um, a little bit longer than your normal sort of jobs. So they're, they're quite prolonged because we're, we're making sure that everything's kind of, everything's set up that we're not going to get hurt in the process. Um, so we've spent quite a long time setting everything up. We've got our plan together. We know exactly what we're going to do. We've got two blokes in in water kit, like dry suits. They're in with the horse, with the vet. The vet is kind of 
instructing us on on how to do it and it gets to the point where we're, we're now ready to to sling the horse attach the sling to the crane and then we're going to lift the horse out basically um so like i said we've got two guys in there they're wet they're cold it's getting dark um we attach everything we get the all clear from the vet we lift this horse out move the horse over to the field plonk the horse down let all of the slings go so it's now standing there and everyone's like thank god for that let's go back for a tea because we're all we're all pretty wet and cold um so we we let the slings go move everything out of the way we've got eyes on this horse to see what it's going to do is it going to collapse again or, or is it going to go and have have some grass or something like that and, and everyone's watching this horse and it was like it was pure comedy gold this horse just turned straight back around walked straight to the ditch that we just got it out of plonked itself back in the mud in the water and just stood there again got itself stuck and we're like we've literally got to go through the whole process again of trying to set this up to get this horse back out and we did we ended up getting it out and we made sure that time that it wasn't going to go back it was going to go to where we wanted it to go but yeah it was common this horse pretty much looked at us like i would know that you guys want to go home and i'm going to go straight back into that ditch. <laughs> that's great yeah. uh, those that's are the types of, of rescues that all of a sudden now you're on like the front page news and oh firefighters rescue the horse twice yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you've got a picture of a grumpy looking firefighter on the front stood next to this horse <laughs> yeah. oh man gosh that's funny that's funny I love it I love it well thank you guys for sharing those stories man I, I appreciate it Um, I want to go into a little bit more of now you guys are deploying. So Morocco was recently, you said Turkey. Um, you had gone down to where else for the floods? Malawi. Malawi. Well, I don't even know where that is. Where is Malawi? Yeah, Africa. I think middle-ish Africa. Oh. Okay. Nice. So again, you saw the urban search and rescue teams all around Europe or all uh, around right. UK. Around the UK, so so UK ISR is obviously made up yep. of our of the, of, of the British teams. Um, okay. There are other there are other countries that provide an international response as well. We sort of work quite um, close with those teams, so like FEMA, um, for example, is the American oh, teams. Yeah. Um, Got it. Got deploy. Um, so we we're, we're we're a version of that, if you like, a, a, our own our own um, our own version of that that, that international model, um, and that's made up of the UK USAR teams. Um, Man, that's awesome. So I think it's 19, 19 of the U-Sides, 19 U-Sides yes. U-Sides teams in total, I believe. Um, all right. So, which, uh, I, I mean, I'm good with all of them. I, I'm happy to hear. I, hit me. What, so when you guys get down there, are you bringing all your own equipment with you or are you kind of using what's in country when you arrive? How, did, how does that work? Yeah, so I'll let Tom take over this one. Um, as much to his delight, I haven't deployed yet. So forever the bridesmaid ah. never deployed. Uh, so I've all been... Right team for a fair while but it's not been my my chance to go yet um but i'm sure that will come in time but uh yeah tom's got the tom's got the better so story Rob, for this one. what you're telling me is you're chomping at the bit to go is that is that what i'm hearing i yeah i'm sure you probably detected that from there but uh yeah if, if my boss is listening I, uh he, he knows it's out there yeah i love it i love it he was right, next Tom, to me right. okay perfect perfect yeah so I we've got yeah. Okay, let's go. We've got our own. So UK also has got their own cache of tools, um, okay. which is all which is all stored with uh, the London teams. So 
the the London UK ISAR teams or the London USAR teams, their their kind of role is to provide that. Um, so they'll they'll keep hold of it, they'll maintain it, uh, make sure it's all up to spec, and then if the call does come in, they will provide they'll they'll send it to wherever wherever our departure point is. Um, so for the Morocco deployment, we we had we initially were going to depart from London Stansted, which is kind of the preferred option. Um, although last minute it got changed, so we went out of RAF Bryce Norton. Um, so all of the kit then came from from the London stations. Um, it got moved to Bryce Norton. When it got to Bryce Norton, the RAF uh, crews on the ground there then loaded it onto the back of um, back of one of the military military aircrafts. Um, so yeah, that was a really good experience. We got to we got to fly in the back of the aircraft with the kit, which is pretty cool on the. Nice. nice uncomfortable seats where you're sat on the side all staring at each other for, for the whole five hour flight and you know you don't get the luxuries of uh of british airways on on the old uh, the raf prize norton flights they, they they came around with a bag of crisps i think uh nice, which was our, nice. our token for all gift. my american friends that would be chips all right, yes, chris, like, I, I get it i get it yeah, crisp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to be, to be fair they make uh, that's the one, yeah, yeah. They made a quite big, uh, a big deal of the service that they were going to provide these RAF blokes, and uh, they said, "Oh, it's going to be the best meal you've ever had," which, which obviously wasn't going to be the case. And I remember they, uh, they came round mid-flight with this, with a box, uh, and on top of the box there was a knife and fork, and there was like a drink next to it, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, they're actually going to, going to give us something decent." And uh, we opened the box, and it was just a bag of crisps. So the, the, the knife and the, oh, yeah, the knife and the fork were pretty irrelevant to. To what we had um <laughs> so yeah that, that i think that was a bit a bit of a joke for them but but yeah all, all of the kit was loaded onto the back of the aircraft we flew out with all of the kit um when we landed in uh marrakesh in, in morocco uh we then had to unload all of the kit so it took us you know a, a couple of hours to unload it all onto the runway uh, and then the moroccan government supplied us with with military trucks that we could then use for our for our time out in in country so we loaded all the kit onto the trucks um we had an advanced party that then went out on one of the trucks to find what we call a, a boo a base of operations uh, so they'll go out and they'll find the, the kind of best location for us to set up camp um so they went ahead they found somewhere we then loaded up all the tools and, and followed on to, to that location so they found a um they found a site and they try and look for a site that's fairly flat that isn't isn't in like a, a built-up area obviously for for the threat of uh, aftershocks, we don't want to be in in kind of a hazard area. So they'd they'd found a really flat area, which was which was on uh, it, it was kind of a building site. They were, they were going to build a block of flats there, but they hadn't started yet. So we we kind of pitched camp on on this gravel road that they'd started building. Um, so we unloaded all the tools, set up camp, um, and the whole the whole point of the base of operations is is for us to be self sufficient for uh, for for up to fourteen days. Uh, so we've got literally everything included in that. So we've got kind of catering facilities. We've got a med tent that, that come with the uh, the team of doctors that we have. Um, that is it's a mini hospital basically that that will treat the guys. Uh, we've got a, te- a tent that holds all of the dogs because we have a canine team come with us. Um, logistics tent. So we've got you know laptops, computers that are all set up that that we can then use for for deployments then out to work sites. So so yeah, we we we're set up um without having to ask the host nation for anything really we just set up camp and, and get going so um so yeah the, the setup's pretty um 
pretty cool. And I should, I'll, I'll be able to send you a few pictures and videos from from the deployment. Oh, that'd be great. You can use as well. So, yeah, please do. Um, as I was saying, yeah, we set up the um, the base of operations in Morocco, and it's fairly fairly quick. So I think we landed landed in country at about three in the morning. Travelled to the the base of operations, set that up, and by the time we'd set it up, it was probably you know six half six in the morning, uh, and then we were on the ground by seven a.m. You know, going out in the trucks, starting starting to look for work. Um, we we were at the base of the Atlas Mountains in Morocco, and a lot of the the work sites that were coming in, a lot of the a lot of the aid that was needed was was up high in the mountains. So it was it was long journeys up kind of winding mountain roads um looking for these sites and the, these were sites that that people hadn't heard from hadn't reached really remote villages up in the mountains that you know haven't got access to transport it's all they're, they're all pretty self-sufficient and and their only their only supply of um of welfare would have been them walking into marrakesh which was you know a, a day's trek really for them um so, so they were pretty cut off um and we were coming across you know roadblocks where where there were landslides from the from the earthquake, um, the mountain had, had collapsed onto some of the roads, so it was, it was clearing the roads trying to get through, and then reaching these remote villages that hadn't had any any access to any care since since the earthquake had happened you know, forty eight hours before that. So you can imagine the type of devastation that we came across when we come to these villages that hadn't had uh, any contact from kind of civilization since it had happened. Um, and then it was just getting to work. Really, it was. It was searching for, for for people that that may have been under the rubble, um, using the canine teams that we've got to, to search large areas of, of landslides, um, using the tools to try and try and get down to these these casualties, um, and then just moving on to the next village, uh, just going to as many places as we can within the day, um, and getting back before before nightfall. Getting getting our heads down with some some rest and then going back out again. So it was yeah, it's pretty oh full on. Gosh, pretty full on. When we covered. Out, when you're going out to some of the places to find it, I assume that there are buildings that have collapsed and and you're trying to search in through whatever you can have access to. Is that? Yeah, definitely. And it was it, it was landslides uh, and stuff, or is it everything? Everything in it, like everything. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much everything, and. You know, it was, it was so different to the Turkey deployment before that. Hearing from the guys that went out there, where it was a lot of in, there was a lot of infrastructure in Turkey. So a lot of what they were searching were were collapsed buildings, and it was all, um, you know, what what we would call our bread and butter, what we train for really, searching voids within collapsed buildings. And the difference between Morocco was because it was in such remote areas and it was on the side of mountains, and the materials that they used to build their houses obviously can't withstand that type of uh that type of earthquake that type of destruction so it, it was very much the landslides did most of the most of the uh most of the destruction um wow. we were just turning up to you know villages that had been wiped out and were just under you know tons and tons of rubble uh and, and a lot of it was unsearchable unfortunately um instead of searching in voids it would have been digging uh digging through the rubble and and moving it all so yeah, the the work sites that we were getting to weren't weren't what we would call viable. It had been forty eight hours since the earthquake, so survivability was low. And where where they maybe had kind of a village elder or a village leader, they they were pretty good in in being able to tell us how many people they were actually missing. 
how many people we were searching for. Uh, and unfortunately as well, you've got the, the religious factor of that. So with their kind of Muslim religion, with their culture, they, they like to bury their dead within 48 hours. So with us turning up 48 hours later and telling them that there's a potential that even though we might not be able to pull out a live loved one, we might be able to pull out the, uh, a deceased person. They didn't really like that idea because they, they kind of got their head around the fact that this was them being under the rubble was going to be their burial, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and it totally does. They'd kind of done that within the 48 hours that they like to do. So in some places they knew exactly how many people were under there and they were happy just to, for, for us to leave it there. Um, there were some places where it was maybe more obvious that there was, there was deceased, um, and the, the opportunity to get them out was a little bit, um, a little bit easier and, and maybe provided that closure. Um, but it varied between, between location really. Um, and, and each task was different, but yeah, it was it, because it was so remote. We, we were traveling kind of six hours to get to work sites on the back of these military trucks, um, uh, that were just kind of flatbed lorries. Really, we just sat on the sat on these thin bench seats. So it wasn't the most comfortable. It was pretty, um, pretty grueling conditions with the heat as well. It was pretty hot, something that we're, we're obviously not used to working in. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a crazy environment to be in. Um, I, I don't remember you telling me, do you remember how many guys went with you for that whole, for the crew that went down to Morocco? Yeah. It was a, it was a team of just about 60. I think it was. Oh, that's a lot of guys. Yeah. Are you running? Um, you said you were running every day, but are you literally running every day, or is there a break in there for you to kind of recover yourself for a little while? Yeah. So it depends on the tasking, really. Um, yeah. We we'll get we'll get taskings come through from local authorities and and local government agencies, and we'll kind of get tip offs of places that that might need our assistance. Um, so that information will come in, and based on that information, we'll then send specific teams out to go and to have a recce of them areas. So it might be some days that you're, you know, you're, you're back at camp while another team has gone out on a recce or it might be the whole team has gone out. So the whole, the whole 60 have gone out in groups. Wow. So it, it does vary from, from day to day, but you know, early on when we first got there, it was, it was very much, we were out in, in teams of kind of three or four, um, all, all searching in different areas. Um, so again, that made logistics hard making sure that you know everyone knows where everyone is at the at, at the right time especially when we're so far away from the from the base of operations so man that is crazy i didn't even know there was stuff out there that was doing that, that, that good for you guys holy cow like not that i want to wish a natural disaster or anything to happen but to knowing that you have guys like you guys ready to go moments notice drop out and, and put a whole crew 60 people yeah. out to go help those in need i'm all about it that's incredible well done boys well done yeah it's good it's a really, really good experience nice very nice man thanks for sharing that man i appreciate that i, I really i really enjoy that that's good so all right well let me let me bring it into the next star like a little bit more and that's you guys created your own company what it and it's all based on rescue and medical and to help those guys get ready to go out for the rescue, right? Right, smashing. So the company then. Um, so yeah, um, we've kind of, so within the services, uh, we, we're quite fortunate that again, um, being in sort of the small teams that we're now in um, and working in special environments, you, you get to do a lot of instruction and, and sort of passing that knowledge on really. Um, 
and to kind of do to do service to to Tom's dad um, and to Ty for a minute as they're sort of our, our other directors. Um, they've got a huge wealth of experience themselves. Um, you know, with Tom's dad serving in the UK ISR team for over thirty years. Um, so we kind of sitting down um, over a couple of weekends, really just got chatting and sort of said, well, why aren't we? There's 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 gaps in this market outside of the outside of the the fire service where you know you've got a lot of uh, private teams, a lot of charities and stuff are going out and doing that stuff. You know, is there anything we can do? Is there any sort of um, our experience, the, the stuff that we've got collectively? Can we kind of put that to market if you like? Um, and we kind of found that there was there were sort of certain niches where um, where we could we could kind of fill that and provide a product for that and and also. Um, and also, I, there were elements where we felt that uh, we've got a particular flavour. I, I, I don't go out there and say we can do it better than anyone else, but we certainly do it differently um, and bring our flavour to you know the way we train and the way we teach. So, yeah, but from that, we sort of founded the company. Um, it's only been going for, I want to say, nine months-ish. Yeah. Not quite, nevertheless. Yeah. Um, okay. From, from concept to, to, to getting work done. Um, and we've become a fully accredited um, training centre for for our medical qualifications that we teach, um, and then the rescue stuff we're kind of working in the background on that um, to kind of get that accredited as well. Um, and then obviously it's endorsed through our own qualifications and experience, really. Um, and we're applying that across the board um, to a range of different clients, like I say from charity NGOs to people that want to do specialist expeditionary stuff. Um, an example of one of the courses we work on is, is remote vehicle incidents. So it's still, it's still one of the highest risk factors when you're traveling abroad. Um, it's yourself in a vehicle. So it's looking at, at companies and individuals that might be out um, in remote areas that do become involved in a vehicle incident where they, they haven't got the ability to just dial 999 and a, and a top draw emergency service is going to turn up to, you know, to cut them out of that vehicle, extricate them and, and deal with the medical elements. So we yeah. sort of help teams plan for that and provide them with the training to, to be able to do that with a with a Swiss army knife and a, and a bit of rope in their back pocket type thing. Um, so that's, kind of what we're <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Like the back country, back wood stuff. Let's go. Exactly. Like that. That's it. Yeah. See, uh, remind me the name of the company again. It's the. Sorteria. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So it's called the Soteria group. Um, and Soteria, um, I have it under good authority um, that the Soteria is the, she's the Greek goddess. Um, so it's a, it a Greek uh, a goddess um, who represented salvation. Um, and deliverance so um hence Very hence the nice. name we kind of um felt that had a fit um and we've also we also have a, another company just to just to throw in the plug there um as well um called the rock breakers rescue club which is our there we are tom's tom plugging away there with with a hat which was kind of um kind of they sit together um but that's kind of to provide some apparel um to kind of represent the search and rescue community um so we'll definitely we'll definitely do you guys a t-shirt and, and and send it over for sure um uh your stuff but it's about representing everyone across the search and rescue community um it's really big kind of it's definitely big in the states it's definitely big within the uk military culture to kind of represent their regiments their units um with a lot of pride something that we don't see a great deal of in the certainly in the fire service and the kind of wider search and rescue community so it's something we just thought we'd bring a bit of that to market really um and it's actually proven you know really mm -hmm. popular so um yeah definitely look out for that stuff as well I but i'll let tom it. talk about RBR, about um, this Terry group. Man, that's great. Yeah, we, um, it's kind of that classic, you know, we, we were working for lots of different people in, in lots of different industries. And I think after a certain amount of time for working for other people, you kind of start to see the value in what you bring to that. Um, and it was, it was us coming together thinking like, do you know what, we could, 
we could do this a lot better than you know some of the things that we've been doing so far so so that's how we kind of came together um as well as the the, the experiences that we've gained you know not not just in the service from my time traveling um especially the risks around uh, being in in remote areas like rob was saying with the with the vehicles it's not something you really think about uh when you're traveling or when you're when you're deployed you, you kind of have this false sense of safety as soon as you're in a vehicle that you know you're going to be you're going to be safe you're going to be looked after uh, and it's not until something happens uh when shit hits the fan proverbially right. um yeah that, that that you're in you're in trouble so it's yeah, so it's about dealing with that and, and the way that technology is advanced, the way that trainings come on, you know, there's ways that you can you can help yourself and you can help your team uh, in these remote areas with minimal tools uh, and the way that vehicles are built now. Um, you know, ju just with the knowledge that we learn, there, there's definitely ways of, of safely kind of extricating without these without these big hydraulic tools that we use within the fire service. So so it's just about portraying that information, really, uh, and, and making sure that we can we can provide a a bespoke package to to people that need specific training i think that's what that's what our kind of plug is that's what we're all about is 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 not just providing a generic training package it's it's looking at what what our client needs the type of environments they're going to be working in and then and then creating a, a training package around them that's going to be specific so uh so yeah that that's what we're aiming to do really i love it now are you looking to like train a group of guys or or guys girls people that are coming in because of they're going on a deployment somewhere or they're going somewhere, or is it maybe a guy like me? Can I just come in and jump in on a class and, and learn something yeah. from you guys? Or? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's kind of twofold really, like Tom said. So we have, we have generic courses that run through the year um, in specific areas. So whether that's medical qualifications or um, like I say more about like some of our disaster, uh, disaster response, medical course, um, or vehicle, uh, the remote vehicle incidents course, something like that. And that is, they are what we call open courses. So people can jump in on that if they'd like to um, just send us email and, and, and we can sort of bolt them into another group of people that might be undertaking that course. Um, or specifically, we'll deal with, with clients on an individual basis. So they might turn around and say they have X amount of people that require training either one of our packages that we will then put on or they might ask for something specific, like Tom said. Um, you know, we've, we've been in touch with um, sort of a friend of mine recently that's talking about um, potentially rowing the Pacific. So we're looking at can we accommodate a medical package that's going to be specific to them, um, and I mean that's fairly remote, isn't it? Um, <laughs> the world's biggest ocean, or, or, or whatever. So yeah, it's a case of yeah, it could be sitting down with that client and saying right, these you know this is our risk assessment of where you're going and what 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 things that we'd be prepping for if we were deploying there, um, and then how can we impart that knowledge on you um, and show you what, some some at least some workarounds um, for that uh, should should you become unstuck. Dang, that is. Freaking awesome. I love it. I, I, how does everybody get in touch with you guys? Um, yep. So uh, Tom's the master of this. He's the manager on all our websites. So um, so obviously we've got www.mysteriogroup.com. Um, that's where, uh, that's obviously our main page. That's where all our contact information is. Um, and you can find a lot more information about courses and things like that on there. Uh, but we're also on Instagram. So we've got um, both the Terry Group and Rockbreakers Rescue Club on Instagram and LinkedIn as well. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, Perfect. On those platforms. Man, it's been great. I love it. I love it. Love and drop it. Like I, I, one of the things I love about what you guys are doing with this is you're taking all of the training you've already been through, the experience you've been through, and you're passing it down to another, to everybody else. That's great. I'm all about it. Yeah, yeah. I, the biggest, like the biggest thing in my career, and probably Tom, yeah, with Tom, Tom, be exactly the same. Is you only learn from other people, don't you? Like, there's so many. 
small and big stories that I've learned from the guys above me, guys and girls above me that have done it before me, that that's the only reason I know anything I know. So it, it's kind of, and we're, we're really good in the emergency services for that, you know, especially in the fire service where you are tagged onto another group of people that you learn from. And it's just a case of like taking that and being able to pass those messages on. You know, that, that's a really, that's kind of a, a staple of our company really. And, and yeah, it's just what we've, what we've experienced. So, so you just said there from stories from other guys in your fire department that you've talked to, right? This is exactly why I do this. You know this, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, I love getting these stories because this is exactly what you guys are talking about right now is you, not only do you get the stories from the people who've done it and then you're like, oh man, I didn't think about that. It helps you there. And then it helps us to pass on when you start training. Cause then all of a sudden you're learning something that you can pass on to the next person. Yeah. I'm all about it. All about it. I love it. That's great. Gentlemen, this has been incredible. I, I love what you guys are doing right now. Um, and actually this brings me to my one more question, which is piece of advice that you pass on. So you're already teaching to people. You're already given some great knowledge and stuff that you've learned, but what would you tell everybody right now? Young firemen coming in and, and guys that want to come up to where you were at, what would you tell them? Rob, I'll start with you. Uh, yeah, so I kind of alluded to it earlier, or kind of like towards the beginning of the podcast, my first kind of rescue attempt, if you like, with the, um, with, the with the flat fire. Um, <clears throat> humility is everything. Um, you know, certainly talk about the fire service in the UK, and I don't think this, I don't mean this as a bad thing. I know we're, we're under a big cultural review at the moment, and um, that is definitely being looked at, but the things I'm talking about, I mean, in a good way, it is an environment of people that are, there, there's a lot of alpha males, right? There's a lot of, uh, and a lot of that, and I don't just mean men, you know, there's a lot of that alpha personality kicking about in the fire service, um, whether people admit it or not. Um, it, it's kind of, it goes right from individual level up to station level, you know, fire, you know you'll never see a station always wants to look after their own ground, right? They don't want fire fires from other stations coming on and putting their fires out. It's, it's a thing, yeah. It's definitely, yeah. There's definitely that culture. So being humble in all of that. If you make a mistake, own it. Um, that was a big thing for me. It's being able to kind of admit those weaknesses in front of your colleagues. Um, don't, don't bluff it. Like if you've if you've made a mistake, everyone can see it, right? Everyone knows yeah. if you've cocked up on an incident, you've done something. Own it as something funny, but you learn from it, right? I'll give you an example. Why um, I'll never forget one of my first drives when I when I passed my driving. Um, I think you guys call them chauffeurs in the States, but we, we, everyone drives eventually on the fire service as long as you pass all the tests. Okay. Um, and whether it was just a car fire, just run the mill, uh, car fire in the middle of the road. And I'll never forget pulling up. It's only, we could see it's a silly little thing, but in our world, it's, you know, I got ripped up to pieces. Pulled up, and as you would in a car, I've pulled up part of, the, part of the fire engine. Everyone's spilling off the sides, ready to go and tackle this car fire. And I've turned the fire engine off and put the keys in my pocket because that's what I do in my car. Not even thought about it. I'll jump around, run around the back. No, our pumps right at the back. So I open the lockers up, um, and nothing's everything's dead. Nothing's working, and I'm shouting. Cause I'm panicking now. I'm flapping, um, and I'm shouting to one of the one of the older guys. I'm like, it's not working. And now, and now I can hear that the engine's not making any noise, right? Because you've got to hit the PTO button, and then the engine on the fire engine actually powers the pump. So now I've realised there's no noise coming out of the fire engine, and I've gone. I've got the keys in the pocket. So it was all over in 10, 15 seconds and I've got it back in there. I've turned it back on, PTO in, I've got the, and now they're getting water and it's all, it's all good. But I could have come up in that moment of embarrassment, of sheer embarrassment and my colleagues looking down on me, I could have come up with all manner of excuses and said, oh, it weren't, I knocked it off by accident or it could be anything, couldn't it? Own it, live with it, learn from it. That is, that's a big thing. And I just I take the mick out of yourself, take the piss out of yourself a little bit and own it to the guys and say, yeah, 
I just turned it off like a car and everyone calls you, you know, everyone takes the mic and it's all done with, but then you, you learn, that's how you learn. Whereas if you deny it and try and come up with these excuses and hide from it because you're worried about that, that, you know, that ripping you might get or whatever it is, that's when that, that learning process doesn't take place because you've denied it. Yeah. It's not to yourself then, haven't you? Um, so yeah, just for young guys, they're keen to make an impression, uh, young guys and girls out there, just, just own those mistakes, learn to live with them a little bit and they'll make you a better firefighter for sure. Yeah. I, I am totally well, on board. I hope so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, you know what? You're going to get picked on. You're you're going to get made yeah. fun of it. I, I mean, it's going to happen. It, you made a mistake, so it's it's blood in the water. It's game on. It's how yeah, you recover exactly. from it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's loads to gain from making mistakes. Right. We loads all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Own it. Own it and move on. Take your licks and then and then get better. Fix it. So I like it. Thanks, man. That's a great story. All right, Tom. What you got, brother? Yeah, so I think the biggest one for me uh, is is kind of learning from other people's experiences. And we're we're very very lucky to be in in an industry where you know we, we've got people that we work with that have been been in this job for thirty plus years, and there's there's not many places that you can say that that people do that. And you know, people still love coming to work. People still love their job, and that's why they stay in it for so long. You know, it, it, it's a career. It's it's something that people get in at a young age, and they don't come out until until retirement. And, you know, they they love every minute of being in the fire service. So I think the the biggest thing for me is utilizing that experience and utilizing that knowledge that they've gained through through years and years of of different incidents and different scenarios. Uh, and and you can you can go off policy and go off guidance as much as you want, but but the stuff that they learn through through their experiences is is invaluable. And I think the biggest thing is drawing on that and and being able to use it yourself, learning from their experience, and and then making your own experiences that you can then share to others. I mean, I'm I'm a very very inexperienced kind of firefighter. If you if you look in terms of of other people that have been in, like I say, for thirty plus years. So so for me, it's it you know that's key. Learning from learning from the people that are around me, learning from their mistakes and not only my mistakes, uh, and then implementing that into future training, future scenarios, future incidences. Um, and been able to use it for for more positive things so that that would be the biggest advice for me man i love it thank you guys so much for sharing that guys this has been awesome i so appreciate you guys coming on and telling some stories i love it when you gay boys come on because i i don't get a whole lot of you guys i i don't know if it's just your i don't know why but let's get more of you guys on so we can get more stories from you guys this has been amazing i loved it so when i come out I'm going to fly into London. We're going to go catch up with the fire truck. Then we're going to go jump on the river and see a bunch of people who are out there, kick back some beers and tell more stories. Are you in? Definitely. Definitely in. 100%. That's awesome. Dude, I love it. Guys, thank you again so much for coming on. And uh, and we'll be in touch. All right? Definitely. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely appreciate the opportunity, Jason. Thanks very much. Anytime. And if oh, we'll drop, we'll drop you a t-shirt as well. Let us know. And we'll, uh, we'll get something together for the uh, Rock Breakers Rescue Club as well. We'll get a t-shirt. Freaking awesome. I love it. Thank you. Well, I will see you guys soon. And uh, actually, you know what? I might even tell you to hold on to that shirt. And I'll, I'll come pick it up in person. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. That sounds perfect. Sounds good. I love it. All right on. Well, thanks, guys. I'll catch up with you later. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Now, it's time for me to pull chocks and take off. 
But before I go, I'm always looking for the memorable rescues that people have done. If you have one that you're willing to share or know somebody who has a story, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to highlight it here at The Real Rescue. For everybody that is standing by for that SAR alarm, remember, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. So until next time, fly safe and swim hard. Thank you for joining me today here at The Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. We'd also like to say thank you to our sponsors for this episode. Precision Aviation Group. Mission critical operators and fleet managers rely on Precision Aviation Group as a worldwide leading rotor and fixed wing MRO provider. PAG provides tip to tail solutions in four MRO segments, avionics, components, engines, and manufacturing DER services. A single point of contact gives you access to over 150 million in inventory globally 24-7. Just call 800-537-2778. Precision Aviation Group. Others sell parts. We sell support. Come on, Rotor. Come on. Come on. Just playing. I just get to come out here and run. And run and run and run and run and run and run and run, run. Oh my gosh, this is so great. So great. Have so much fun. Oh, excuse me.